The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Jared. I'm the Oklahoma City campus pastor. Todd's out of town this week, but I'm super excited to be sharing this message with you. If there's anything we can be praying with you or for you about, you can go to summitonline.tv forward slash prayer, and we'd love to pray with you. So today we're going to be talking about fans and followers. We all know what fans and followers are. We know what fans are. Fans are easily swayed or bandwagon fans. Like a lot of us in the Oklahoma area, we loved a guy named Lincoln Riley. But then about a week later, we were getting our pitchforks and ready to turn on him. Some people were fans of Will Smith. Then some stuff happened and we all turned on him. So those fans are easily swayed. But then there's followers like my dad. My dad's from Ohio. And so he has been a massive fan of the Bengals and the Reds since he was little. And I know recent years, some of this has changed, but for years, the Reds and the Bengals were horrible. And yet he continued to follow them. He watched them as a kid. He still watches them today. So he was a follower of them, kind of like me following OSU. We've had many, many rough years, but I continue to support the Cowboys, even if half of our church is very against that. Um, At the end of Mark 8, Jesus is kind of drawing a line in the sand of fans and followers. At the end of Mark 8, he had had a lot of people start to follow him. Jesus had fed the 4,000. Jesus heals the blind. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He was teaching in power. So at the end of Mark 8, there were a lot of people following him. And hear me, I don't blame them for following him. Because he was doing some amazing things. He was doing stuff that I would drive miles to go watch. So Mark 8, 27 is where we're going to start. Mark 8, 27, verse, or verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on the villages around the Caesarea of Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? So Peter answered. He said, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Continuing on in verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter takes him aside and says, hey, wait a minute, Jesus, like, calm down. Like, we don't need to be talking about this. And the thing is, Peter was only thinking about himself. He was thinking as a fan. Isn't that what fans, isn't that what we do? We want to be happy, fulfilled, special, and never disappointed. So Peter, Peter, just right before, said, you're the Messiah. But then as soon as Jesus started talking about somebody's going to have to kill me, He's like, wait a minute, hold, hold up. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus calls him out for being a fan. If Peter truly believes that Jesus is who he says he is, then what Jesus says goes. Continuing on in verse 34, says this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, are you a fan or a follower? He's saying, it's time. It's time to choose. The first thing he says, we're going to look at verse 34 and kind of break that down. The first thing he says is to deny yourself. So I read this, deny yourself, the willingness to deny oneself possessions or status in order to grow in holiness and commitment to God. The words Jesus used in the original language for deny yourselves were strong terms similar in the meaning in Paul's wording in Philippians 3, 7 through 8. It says this, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So the first thing is to deny yourself. The second thing is, is to pick up your cross. We have to realize what time and who he was actually saying this to. So context matters. And so I was at a camp many years ago, and I've heard this preached different ways, but I had a guy that really enlightened me on the weight of what that piece of pick up your cross actually meant. And so if you're a history lover or hater, either way, we're going to get a little history lesson today. So in verse 27, it says this, they were in the area of Caesarea Philippi. So why is that important? For many years, Romans and Jews were at odds. There were pockets of Jews that were called zealots. And so zealots were these group of guerrilla warfare types of Jews that would come in and kill Roman soldiers. They would sometimes, I read, that they would come in and like have fist fights in like village squares. So that then the Roman guards would have to come over to break up that fight. And then more zealots would jump out of the crowd and kill those Roman soldiers. And so 4 AD to 6 AD was a guy named Herod Acrelius, Acrelius, ruler of Judea, Samaria, Indomia. He was a ruthless leader. He got tired of the zealots killing his soldiers. So he sent more soldiers to wipe out the zealots. He crucified hundreds of Jews. There were so many Jews that they had to reuse the crosses. Normally they would build a new cross per crucifixion. But because he was going through and he was killing so many Jews, they were having to just reuse them. They would throw them down and they would make the Jews go grab their cross and bring it. So he didn't only crucify those Jews, but he also lined the streets with them. He wanted to make an example of anyone that's going to go against the Roman Empire will be made an example of. He also took it even a step further and left those bodies up there for weeks. So put yourself in their shoes. Imagine the scariness of that. Those people at those, that time were walking down their streets with their fathers, with their brothers, with their friends on these crosses. And I'm sure the guys on the crosses were not just sitting quietly. Crucifixions are really rough. You can read about them and how painful they are. So imagine walking to the grocery store, to the village to get food. And you see and hear guys pleading for them to come and to take them down. 
Archelaus went on to take a step forward and said, you know what, I'm going to have guards put up in front so that they wouldn't be able to get them down. So don't imagine weeks later as the smell continues to grow because you have flesh, you have men that are dying up there. So I'm not trying to paint like a gross picture. I'm just trying to paint a picture of that. So now, fast forward about 30 years. This is where we see Jesus is in the area of Caesarea Philippi. This was about 50 to 100 miles away from where that had happened. So we're in the same region where all the killings had happened. Many Jews had fled to this area. So now when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, I can only imagine the reality of that. Being about 30 years back, I bet it actually impacted a lot of these people. And for Jesus to come and say, take up your cross, when a lot of these people had gone through that, or at least had heard stories of it, of their grandfathers or fathers that had gone through that horrific event. So how in the world does Jesus come to them and say that? The third thing Jesus says is to follow me. I read this, the invitation is offered as an opportunity to learn from Jesus how to live authentically the beautiful life of Jesus lived, marked by a passionate love for God and compassion for people, is something we can learn. Humility and forgiveness are traits we can develop. The practices of prayer and worship can be cultivated. Todd said this multiple times, but Jesus is calling us to do what I do, teach what I teach, and represent me in my absence. And so Jesus says those three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So I was at a camp a few years ago, and there was a Marine that was speaking, and he was telling a story about uh, one of his uh, missions that he had been in charge of. So he was in charge of going to rescue four reporters. Uh, These reporters were captured and were in the Middle East and were put into about an eight-by-eight-foot concrete Hole in, the, hole in the ground. So in this hole, there was no bathroom. It was just concrete. They'd get thrown food in, and that would be about it. So these guards that were following them over the year that they had been cap- or guarding these guys, they would get bored, and so they would open up the door, and they'd say, hey, the Americans are here. You can leave. And so these guys would get up out of the hole, climb out, and start running towards the gate. And then the guards would then shoot their guns over their heads. So these guys would all hit the ground. And then the guards would go on to continue to beat them. So this continued on for months. And after a while, these four reporters had lost all hope. They continued to do it over and over and over and over. And so finally, they just got fed up with it. And so every single time that the guards would open the door, they would say, Americans here, you can get out. They would lock arms, and they would get on their hands and knees. So they would get on their hands and knees, and like I said before, I'm not trying to be gross, just painting a picture, with no bathrooms. They were sitting in their filth so that these guards couldn't get to them. So this Marine, it was the time to go rescue these guys. So he said that he had gotten there, and he was super excited. They only had a short amount of time to get him. So they got there, they found the hole, they identified him, and he started yelling down there. 
He said, I'm, I'm with the Americans. He said, please come with me. We're, we're here to rescue you. Let's go. And did they go? No, because they had lost all hope. They had put all of their hands and knees together or their arms together and got on their hands and knees. And he continued to plead with them and plead with them and plead with them. And then he got a horrible call and said, abort mission. And he said, all of his other guys that were trained, they got up and they ran back. But he said he did something that he had been trained since day one never to do. He took off his gun, he took off his gear, and he jumped down in there. And he started shaking one of the guys. He was like, I'm the real deal. We're the Americans. Come with me. And he said that this guy's countenance changed. He said there was joy. And he said then they started arguing with the other guys like, hey, this, we got to go. And that's how he found out about what the guards have been doing to him. So these guys started arguing back and forth like, no, they're just going to beat us. They're just going to do this. They're going to continue to do this. So finally, the reporter convinced the other guys to go. And so they got to leave. They were rescued. It was a great story. And the Marine got to meet the reporter later, uh, once they were stateside. And he asked the guy, he said, why, why did you come with me? Like, you were so adamant about me not coming. And he said, well, I knew the guards wouldn't get down in our filth. And so why can Jesus ask this of those people at that time and ask us this? Because he got down in our filth. He came and lived a life, died, rose again three days later, declaring that he was God. So today, everyone responds. If you have accepted Jesus, are you acting like a fan or a follower? Are you denying yourself? Are you all in or just a little bit? Because Jesus deserves and commands for us to be all in. He wants all of you. Have you received Jesus to be Lord of your life? Because he came, like I said, and he died for you. And he rose again, declaring that he is God. If that's something that you haven't done, you can also email us at summitonline.tv forward slash prayer, and we would love to reach out to you and have conversations with you. As you leave today, wherever you're at, I pray that you walk in boldness to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father God, we pray um, for that boldness. God, I pray that if we're stepping between being a fan and a follower, I pray that we go head first into be, being a follower of you. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for coming for us in our filth. We love you in your awesome name. Amen.